Please join me as we sing and I offer a prayer. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very So I invite you to join me just taking a moment to bring your energy within your physical being and perhaps to feel your hands or notice your breathing gives it a grounding in this moment. Otherwise, it's just simply an idea to lightly tap your fingers together, just two fingers, whatever it may be. But allow that energetic to be fully within you in this moment and in that awareness opening the heart center, that heart center of intelligence and that intuitive center a couple inches below the navel point, our center of being, our mind, our heart, our intuition, grounding ourselves down into this beautiful earth. In my mind's eye, I see a beautiful thread, silver threads extending down out of the bottom of my feet into this earth, grounding bringing me home to myself. And knowing knowing as I speak these words, I offer them to you with unconditional love, with the generosity of spirit. What does not work for you, let it wash over you. Only accept into your life what resonates with you. But what I affirm and know in this moment is there's one power and presence. There's a, a source of all life, a principle of life that I am immersed in and is immersed in me, that this room is filled with the smoke of spirit and that my being and your being is filled with that spirit as well as we open ourselves to this and invite. And so in this beautiful invitation coming into us in the full energy of it, I know that unconditional love is the order of the day, that something powerful and beautiful is finding its way in and through and as each and every one of us like never before. And so what I know along with that is that every cell in my physical being and your physical being is functioning at the highest and most beautiful, harmonious level possible for us, that divine health is the order of the day. I direct this infinite and divine intelligence to guide and direct me in my awarenesses and my insights and the things that I verbalize, the things that I say and do, the things that I grab onto and hold as precious and the things that I allow to fall away. I stand in this divine reciprocity of life for that life, that spirit's life is my life. And so I know the divine intelligence is infusing me in every good way, instructing me from every area. So beautiful and wonderful. And so I stand in the peace of mind in this moment, affirming affirming peace of mind in any thought that, that comes across my field of awareness. If it is not the highest and the best in this moment, I just lovingly release it. As I stand in that consciousness of unconditional love this day with you. So this day is perfect in every way like never before. Things are happening in and through and as us that some we understand and others we don't, but to simply continue to reach for the highest thought possible. 
wherever we are challenged, wherever we are stuck. And so I just give thanks this day to know that we are not in this alone, that we are supported, loved, and resourced beyond measure. Everything necessary for you and I to know, to think, to do, to receive, to give is made infinitely clear. For this I give thanks, celebrating this beautiful community and all of the beautiful, beautiful masters and teachers whose shoulders we stand upon. I invite you to say with me, and so it is. Beautiful, beautiful. This has been such a beautiful day today, and, and we're finishing up our work with this book, um, Stop Saying I'm Fine, by Mel Robinson. It's wonderful. So we're going to finish the book up this, this uh, Sunday, but also we're not done with the book, because I think there's some wonderful things that we can do within our community to help expand it and, and utilize the information that's contained within it. So we're talking about the seven-day stamina workout, and that's at the very end of, of Mel's book, but I wanted to, to finish up with some of the ideas that precede that. And last week, we, we talked about a few things that uh, we weren't quite able to uh, bring to completion. So I'm going to touch on a lot of ideas today. Uh, please don't uh, let it overwhelm you. It really is just simply paying homage to a bit of the, the, the path that she lays out for us. But if you're interested in, in really doing this work, we have books available that we had another shipment come in. And prior to that, what I want to do is honor one of our practitioners who made their transition this last week. Someone gave me the, uh, the piece of paper from her memorial service, which was yesterday. So you'll see up there a picture of, that's Julie Bull in the red on the right. And Julie came to our center a number of years ago, did all of our classwork, became a practitioner. Um, and was just a, a remarkable presence within our community and, and part of our legacy. She used to come and tell me on Sunday, and she would go downstairs and work with her children. She loved working with the kids, and they loved her. So she just was so enlivened by that activity of being of service to that. She was born on June 26, 1972, and she passed away May 23rd. She died at the age of 42. And so part of her challenge was that her, her physiology gave up on her, but her body and her, I mean, her spirit and her consciousness uh, is eternal and still alive. And so I want to honor her a bit today. I have a bit of a ritual at the end of my, my talk, very short, but I think very pertinent, because once, our, once we make our transition, then our, our energy is completely released. And what I know about Julie is that she's fully alive in her new experience and that she's alive with us too at that quantum level of the energetic she used to always say to me, you know, I, 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 because she did counseling work within the, her culture, and, and she'd say, you know, I take everything you t talk on, about on Sundays, and I use it in my work. I hope that's okay. And I said, man, I hope that's enough stuff for you. You use it all you can. So uh, quite a lovely presence. So what we want to do, she did stand-up comedy, and I think her stand-up comedy speaks volumes to kind of how she lived her life and how she expressed her gifts. So we're going to play a very a short snippet from a YouTube video. It's actually about nine minutes long. We're going to show you the first couple minutes. And because uh, we, we want to honor her energy and capture it here for us as we moved forward with our discussion today. She's from Goodfish Lake First Nation, ladies and gentlemen, from Alberta. Welcome, Julie C. Bull. Good evening, everybody. So before I start, I'll just get this out of the way so that everybody can see me. Is that better? <laughs> so how are we all doing tonight? How are we all feeling? I'm feeling absolutely flabulous. So, you know, it takes a lot of courage and tremendous guts to get up on stage like this, but I have those. So I've been studying comedy for the past 
five and a half years or so, and one of the things that they teach us in what I like to call comedy school is that when you first get on stage, they suggest that you quickly point out one or two of your more prominent features. Like if you have a large nose or frizzy hair or your heritage, point it out. Well, I know that you know what my prominent feature is because it sticks out. That's what prominent features do. But you know, I don't really like to talk about it. I'm a little bit sensitive about it, but since that's what they teach us, then that's what I'll do. And you, sir, can't keep your eyes off of it. That's right, it's my devil toe. You know the kind I mean, the rhino horn type that sticks straight up and shreds the heck out of your socks? So, as I say, she goes on with a, uh, a bit more of a routine, and it's, it's quite uh, such a great uh, example of how she moved through life. She would always come up every Sunday, and I wore a sweater one Sunday, and she came up and accused me of trying to imitate Mr. Rogers. So she, she could always find something to just get a chuckle out of me. And, um, uh, you know, I, I miss her, and yet I know she's still here with us in, in consciousness and in the energetic of it. Those that we love are always nearby. But I wanted to talk about some of these principles because a lot of this stuff, Julie came here like many of us, and she wanted a different life. She had to get, and for all of us to change our lives, we have to give up what was and what we were connected to in order to give birth to the, the greater yet to be. And so for all of us, as we make decisions to move forward in our lives, it's, there's going to be a shedding. There's going to be a dissolving. And I watched that happen with Julie. She came in with her partner at that time, and we sat in that solarium, and we did hour after hour after hour of conversation. And so as Julie started to take classes and wake up in her life, that relationship changed. And what she needed to learn in that relationship, she realized, I got it, but I'm ready to move forward now. And not that that happens all the time, but that's just the nature of things. When we realize that a relationship doesn't work and either the, the two partners can work together to transform it, but if one per person isn't willing, then, it, then to find the courage and the wisdom and the self-love to say, you know, this doesn't work for me anymore. So, and that was the beginning of Julie's amazing journey. So talking about that and relating to these last two principles, because we've talked about the steps that Mel Robbins points out in this beautiful book, Stop Saying I'm Fine. And she talks about, last week we talked about face it, you're not fine, which is just the reality of saying, hey, you know what? You know, and fine, of course, who wants to be fine? How many has, has gone to a restaurant and said, man, that was, the fine, that was a fine meal? We typically don't go back when it's a fine meal. We want something incredible and delicious and wonderful. Admit what you want, which is talking about just coming clean with what it possibly is and finding people we can share that with that can support that dream, which is certainly what Julie did when she showed up here. Admitted that I want a richer experience of life. I want the fullness of life. I want to express my gifts. I want to do stand-up comedy. That wasn't something that was fully alive for Julie when she first came here. And to go public with what you want, finding people that you can speak to and, and that will celebrate you and, and uh, support your greater yet-to-be. And those are rare as well. So the last two, and then I'm going to talk about the seven-day stamina challenge, which is quite a, a, it's a challenge. But explain a bit of that is, number one today is to zoom out and create a map. So we live in a, in a world with inc that's incredible, incredible times we live in. 
opportunities that our parents didn't have. You know, our parents were probably raised or, or born into a town and they lived their whole career there. And it was rare for someone to say, you know, I'm going to pick myself up and take myself to a new environment. I'm going to recreate myself. I'm going to get the training. I mean, it happened. But, but my, my, my experience with most of the people that grew up in my hometown, they stayed put and did what they did. They f- had their roles and they played it out. But we don't live in times like that anymore. We have technology. We have the, the World Wide Web. We have hyper-connectivity. We have social media. We have everything we need and available. And the great thing is it's available without money. It's available. We don't need a degree. We don't have to move across the country. We can go online and study something for a period of time every day and I read a statistics, and I don't remember the numbers, but if you do it a certain amount of time, five minutes a day for a year, all of a sudden you're pretty much, you can become an expert in just about anything. But spending a, a concentrated period of time on, on, on doing the research. People have quit jobs. They've become single parents. They have found love late in life. They've gone back to school. They've invented a product. They can lose 150 pounds, start a company, self-publish a novel, build confidence, reinvent themselves, survive an affair, heal their family, and quit drug addiction, to name a few of the things that Mel points out. But it's true. We know stories of this. You know, we're not stuck in any of it, which is a beautiful thing. Because I think, like I love Esther Hicks, she said, we have to have the contrast. Why do people suffer? Well, because we need the contrast to understand what, what a beautiful, wonderful life looks like. And it shapes us. The problems and the challenges, that's that dross of moving through it. And, and in that, that struggle and that that giving birth to the greater yet to be, there's a, such a beautiful blossoming of stamina and courage and understanding. Whatever comes before me, there's something within me that can overcome this. There's something supporting me that can move me through this. And that's what I love about our teaching. That's what Julie lived. Because what she came from, you know, coming from a marginalized community for, for in many respects, and she was, a very, you know, she was very large physically. I mean, she had so many challenges that could have just put her on her backside and never moved forward. And yet she was out there doing everything she possibly could to celebrate and live the, the best life she could. And to bring her humor to it, too. That humor was such a powerful tool for her. So whatever we desire, it already exists out there. Somebody's gone there. Somebody's walked the path. The hard work is already done for us. We want to know how to do something. We can find a book. We want to know how to, to reach God, Christ's consciousness. There's books. People that have done that. People that are doing it right now. We want to know how to become an expert in a certain area of, of, uh, that we're, we long to understand and to express deeper. There's books, people available, and, 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 and paths of study that greater yet to be. So all we have to do then is we don't have to recreate the wheel. We just have to follow their path. We only need focus on the trail and push through whatever self-defeating stories come up for us because that's our greatest challenge. What am I telling myself about this? Why do I say this is impossible or difficult or never yet to be? And so it's the unraveling of that that I think and the, and the dissolving of that where the, the great treasure is. Our tendency within our, our teaching is to want to go from problem to prayer. Oh, I got a problem here. I'm going to pray it away. When in fact, many times we don't honor the problem, which is there to inform us and guide us, challenge us, and sometimes bring us to our knees. It's okay to be brought to your knees because you're not going to stay on your knees forever. It's just buying into that action and behavior of what is so impactful that may cause us to stop and slow down and say, holy moly, this is hard stuff. And I know, because I work with a number of people, I've had the same journey that it's a challenge at times. 
because we were married to certain ideas about ourselves. So it's important to figure out where we stand in relationship to what it is we long to experience. So where we are now and what we're meant to be. And she talks about the map. Zoom back and create the map. And so the map is a view. She uses the example of a river with a lot of rocks. And we're on one side of it. So we get to pick the rocks that we want to cross the river with using that metaphor. I want to be over there, but I'm over here. Wow, that looks like fun, but I'm here. And so we get to decide. And so sometimes, as she said, it's not about filling it all in and saying, I'm going to go from stone to stone to stone to stone. I've got another slide here that shows what she talks about with the map is that, and you can't read them, but actually there's things in there like contact so-and-so and take a class, read a book, um, wrong color font. Get, like the message I get is get a different colored font. But they're all, so we take it, we take our map and we fill it in with the ideas of what it may be. And it's not linear. She said, if you miss a turn with this map or you can't proceed on a particular path, you figure out another way to go. Oh, this is blocked. This opportunity is shut down right now. Well, I'm going to go over here then. I mean, that's what Julie did in her life. This, this door got shut and she'd move over here and kept going and going. Even when her body started to fail her, she kept going. A good map allows us to adapt to the obstacles and to keep on moving. That's this kind of map. This is a creative brainstorming exercise. This is our second point about this. Everything that comes to mind should go on the map. Anything anybody suggests goes on the map. Any wild idea goes on the map. Anything that you remotely desire goes on the map. Doesn't mean because it goes on the map you have to do it, but it goes on the map. It's a way to capture it, write it down. It's that tactile experience becomes more real when we write it. And even that you, you think it, it's something that you think you might want, it goes on the map. The third point around this is it comes at us from all different directions. So she uses the example of losing our keys. I love the Rumi story when, when uh, Nasruddin is out, he's lost his keys and he's standing out in the street and he's under the street lamp and he's looking for his keys. And his friend walks up and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm looking for my keys. And he says, well, when did you drop them? Where do you think you dropped them? He says, well, I, I lost them in the house, but there's no light in there, so I'm looking out here because it's brighter. But when we lose our keys, we get locked out of the house. We just don't go, I can't get back in. We go check the windows. We check the back door. We check the basement windows. We might get a ladder out if we can and go upstairs. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we do. And it's that approach to just simply come at it from all different directions. How can we do this differently? How can I do this differently? And then she says there's no shortcuts. The number four point in this is there's no shortcuts. She said that any time we do something rash or drastic, it's not sustainable. Anytime, you know, the, the whole thing, you know, she uses a lot of examples in here about weight, about people that are trying to get healthy and lose weight. And, you know, I remember years ago, I did that lemonade and maple syrup and cayenne pepper thing. Anybody done that diet besides me? Yeah. That's a sustainable diet, isn't it? I, re I still remember the faces my wife Laura made when I just went home and announced that, you know. But it's not sustainable, but it's a shortcut. You know what, I'm gonna, all, the, all the excess weight that I want to lose, I'm going to lose it in the next six weeks. And of course, then you go back to the patterns that created the condition in the first place, and it all just shows back up again. So it's very interesting. Uh, uh, or working with ourselves and realizing, how can I do this differently? How can I change my relationship with how I feed myself and take care of my body? Which is a much more interesting and impactful way, because then it becomes a way of being and a way of life. 
But it's much easier to just jump to the shortcut. You know, I'll just do this for two months. On page 178, she said, change is an accumul- a slow accumulation of details. Now, isn't that nice to know? A slow accumulation of details. Change is like waking up on a morning just like any other and finally feeling different. You ever had that experience where you just wake up and you go, oh, wait a minute, today is going to be different. I'm finally starting to get this. All of those intentions I set are starting to shift and change. I'm not triggered so much by the old behavior. She said, as if you've got something to look forward to because you've taken back control of a small piece of your life. You've taken it out of the pattern of habit and all of a sudden you empowered yourself with awareness. That's what waking up is. Innovation occurs by making small movements that add up to high change, to huge changes. Remember, you're in this for the long haul and your success does not depend on any one act. The only reason I keep coming back week after week, can I tell you this? Because you can't share it with anybody else. I've been working on this. Once I get the, the perfect talk done, I can go do something else. But until then, I'm going to keep coming back and doing this. But I mean, this is the idea. It's the long haul. It's a, it's a cumulative thing. When I do prayer work with people, I, I many times remind them, this is just a continuation of the prayer work we've already done. Because prayers... Our affirmative prayers, I believe, are eternal, and they continue to spiral upward and outward to our greater good, our behalf. It's not, just, it's not just fantasy thinking. So everything is a continuum to build upon, to build upon, and those are how the small changes, I think, can be so beneficial to understand, oh, wait a minute, I, you know, I didn't, do, I didn't say this in my talk today, or I didn't do this at work today, but that's just a reminder to say, well, next time I can do that. It's not as if, well, I failed, so I'm never going to try again. It's just, oh, wait, I can adjust it here, I can adapt it here. Your change will be an accumulation of a whole series of decisions. And I believe that's to be so potent and true. So she gets into these brainstorming exercises. And she said, first of all, so when you're brainstorming with your map, so you got your map set up and all the bubbles and you're putting your information in there and you're recording stuff and you're going, wow, that's, a, that's an interesting idea and there's something I'd possibly do. She says, first thing, take advice. When you go public, when you tell people what you're looking for, what you're longing to experience... You go public. I remember when Julie came in to see me and she wanted, she wanted a lot of things that were very near and dear to her. And so we went to work. We partnered in prayer. And we had discussion. And as things would come up, we would talk about those things. And I could witness it for her. But I didn't sit there and judge it. I just simply, yeah, that's, that's for you too. That's for you too. That's possible and that's possible. It didn't change it overnight. But she started opening herself up to the divine guidance, that intuition, and to started to shift and change how she was living. And that never stopped for her. So when we go public, when we share it with someone that that can support the greater yet to be for ourselves, it's very powerful. It accelerates our our learning and our growth. Take things, uh, make a list of things to do. What should I do? They go on the map. Take a class. Do do whatever. In in her book, she gives great examples of that. Read some books. What books are recommended? I'm recommending a book to you right now. And then who are the people to contact? You should talk to so-and-so. They've done that. You know, if we want to purchase a home, who do we t- typically call? Or go online and look? We call a realtor. Or somebody that's involved with the, the market. So all of those things, it just makes sense to practical, very common sense things. Approximate your dream was the third idea within this. Approximate your dream was to shrink it down to actions you can take today. So you want to be a world-famous chef or baker? Bake something every day. Cook something every day. 
Want to be a, a best-selling author? Write something every day. Do you want to, be, do you want to grow deeper and deeper into that, that cosmic Christ consciousness? Meditate and pray every day. You want to be healthier in our lives? Exercise a little bit every day. All of those little things, but, but shrink it down. We want to run a marathon? You can't run half a block yet? You know, then, I mean, I'm, I'm done with my running career. I, I just know that, and it's not because I'm, but I've tried and tried and tried, and so I walk fast now. You know, something happens, I'm walking fast. I've got, couple, I've got knees that just don't run anymore, but my spirit does. So then she talks about, you know, and with that small ways, to do what you hope to do will, will grow into a larger scale eventually. Then the third one is to follow the leader. Track down somebody that's done what you're interested in doing. Study with someone that's gone before you. That, that, what are the best practices that line up for you to get you to your goal or to, that, to a more fulfilled relationship with what you long to experience? And if there's not one person, but it's a few people, then pick a blend of people. And if they're not in your environment, but you can read about them and study what they did and how they approached things, awesome. Act the part, as she says, one of her favorite sayings is, fake it until you make it. Act the part and pretend to be a better person. Mary Manamorsi in her uh, Prosperity Plus Two says, you know, what would that person that you long to be, be how would they get up every day? How would, they, how would they operate in their lives? And Im- start imitating that. How would they dress? How would they eat? How would they be in relationship with people? I mean, wonderful little shifts and changes of how we would do that. Because, you know, many times we just fall into the tendencies of where our emotions take over. And she said, what you have to do with all this is realize, don't let your emotions take you off the rails. Keep pushing forward despite your feelings. Get a PhD. Number four, get a PhD. Sign up for a class, research the things that you want, find four books and, and seven blogs to read, she recommends. Whatever you discover in your research that's scary, put it on the map. Whatever you discover in your, your research that gives you assignments, put it on the map. So it's there. And at some point you may act upon that. Number five, to join a group. Join a group. People, we're better off when we have people around us that are doing the same things that we long to, to do. We have our, our small groups here, which are wonderful. Wonderful way to connect and hear and witness what other people are longing for. She talks about trade shows, conferences, associations, online courses, lectures or events. The quickest way to, to our own enhancement and development, and we, that's why we teach classes, is to join others that are involved with the same longing and the same activity. It's the fastest way it accelerates. Isn't it interesting how it multiplies? Talks about in the, um, the Maryland um, police, when they were training the police officers, they would put them together in dorms and they would, they would um, just assign them alphabetically. So the A's would go in one and the B's would go in another dorm or whatever, but you were always next to the people that were closest to your first letter in your last name. So after six months, they said, who are your closest friends? And it turned out that the people with the closest uh, last, the first letter in their last name were their closest friends because they p- spent the most time with them. It's proximity. Proximity. So who are you hanging out with? As my mother used to always say, be careful who you're hanging out with. How would she know? That was my mom. And she was right. Number six, innovate. So circles on the map. Look at the circles on your map. Can you innovate them? Tells a great story in there. Chris and Jonathan who started Stoneheart Pizza in Boston. 
And so they started out and they, they made thin crust pizza. It's the best thin crust pizza. And they brought in all the natural ingredients and it was really great pizza. And they started out, they had three stores and people could go in and get a pizza. And then they decided they wanted to deliver pizza. So they started delivering the pizzas. And then they decided they wanted to expand their men, menu. So they did that. And then they wanted to sell more pizzas. So what they did is they started donating their time for, for, for events and giving their pizzas away for a while. But they had, most of the, the events were outdoors. So they figured out a way to cook pizzas. They had to find the right grill to do this. And so they discovered the perfect way to make pizzas outdoors, outs, um, outs, outdoors to could serve many people. And as a result of it, uh, through, through networking and exposure and volunteering, all of a sudden they were approached by Whole Foods to start making their freeze-dried pizzas. And Whole Foods, you know, is a very big chain in the United States. So now they are the, the providers of one of the grilled, their grilled pizza is known all over the United States. So they went from three stores to this, but it was innovation. How do we do this? How do we do this? How do we do this? To innovate is quite a, quite a beautiful story. And then she talks about this brainstorming. The last one is blowing up obstacles. She lists all seven in the book, and they're there if you're interested. But blowing up obstacles. List all of the obstacles between you and the things that you want. And write it down. She says, write it down as this. Get advice on how to work around the fact that I don't know how to do this. I don't have enough money. I don't have... Get get advice on how to work around the fact that whatever it may be. Because as she's saying, it's starting slow. Once again, quitting your job to pursue your dream may be a little bit too drastic. And people have done it all the time. But typically, it's not sustainable. It just creates more fear. And when we're in that much fear, we just shut down. We can't think creatively. She says, you become an expert by ignoring how you feel. You Ignoring how you feel and just act. Just act upon the impulses before you. Then she gets into, let me get my... My notes caught up here, the seven-day stamina workshop. But in celebration of Julie, Julie and her uh, humor today, I want to tell you a, a great, great little story I heard that is, uh, probably has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today, but it represents uh, Julie's spirit. And I heard it, I thought it was timely. So a um, 90-year-old Jewish man is driving through Beverly Hills on New Year's Eve, 3 o'clock in the morning, and the police officer pulls him over. And he says, excuse me, sir, are you lost? He says, no, I'm, I'm fine. He says, well, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and you're the only one on the street. It's New Year's Eve. Um, where are you going? He said, ah, officer, I am going to a lecture right now on the evils of alcohol, how it ruins your marriage, ruins your family life, and it'll ruin your career. And the policeman says, well, okay. He said, at 3 in the morning on New Year's Eve, who would be giving that lecture? He says, my wife. He knew where he was going. (laughs) Julie would have loved that joke. So the seven-day stamina workshop, very simple principles. I'm going to go through them really quick, and we'll get Robin up here to sing another beautiful song. First of all, it's face the day. She says, set your alarm. That's up to you when you set your alarm. And as soon as that alarm goes off, you throw the covers off, you sit up in bed, you swing your legs out of bed, you stand up, and you say, this is it, I'm up for the day and you're ready to go. That's the first thing you do. If you don't do that, you set the alarm and you don't do that, well, then you got tomorrow morning to wait to do it. So there's no pressure on us. Well, we just make these commitments and we work them piece by piece by piece. 
That's the great thing is if you can't achieve one of these, you just stop until you work it out right there. So I'm up for the day. 30 minutes early. I'm ready to go. I am now up. Then she says, once you've got that mastered, so what do you do then? Well, then you walk over and you sit down and you write in a journal for five minutes. You write about your big ideas. You write about the obstacles that you have, the the fears and concerns. Because what you do is you you just, as you bring them into your awareness, they dissolve. Ah, that's not true for me. Because then what you do is you write about what it'll feel like to have this experience. What would it feel like if that, that thing became possible and alive for you? And you start to put energy into that, but you write about it, write about it. Nobody's going to see it. So first thing is you, you face the day, you get up, I'm up. Second is I, sit, I, I admit it. These are my fears. These are my, my longings. This is the possibility that sets me on fire. And then she says 20 minutes of exercise. You know, you hear me talk about 10 minutes of meditation. 20 minutes of exercise, go for a walk, get your body moving, get it in line. Because we're all different when we're, we're connected with that physical being. And it's so important for the longevity and the health and the vibrancy of our thinking and all of the cells in our bodies. But 20 minutes of exercise, walking, running, treadmill, whatever it may be for you. Then she says, so you've got this now three days in a row. You get up and say, okay, I'm ready and I do my writing, but I don't do 20 minutes of, med- of uh, exercise. You've got to wait right there. You just say, okay, I didn't do my exercise. I got the first two down, but I'm working my way into 20 minutes of exercise. And then she says, you break your routine. You discover new directions to work. We've talked about this. Brushing our teeth with a different hand. Locking, she says, lock your cell phone in the trunk of your car on the way to work. (laughs) Listen to a different radio station. Break in the routine. And then the last three are making eye contact. So she says, make eye contact with five strangers today. You know what's really easy place to do that is go over to um, shoppers over here. They always have the girl behind the cosmetic counter. Whenever I walk in, she's like, how you doing today? And I thought, yeah, I can practice there. Because she always makes eye contact, says hi. I don't know, whoever it is, they're really, really well trained. Some days when I'm feeling lonely, I just walk in there and get greeted by her and I feel better. <laughs> but, and, and do it in a way that's not creepy, you know? <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, no drooling, don't have your tongue out, any of that stuff. But just a nice, I mean, people walk down the street all the time, and I always see them coming and make eye contact with them. I I don't know them, but how you doing? It's a lovely thing to do. Because it pulls us up out of ourselves. We spin in ourselves so much at times. We We just take ourselves way too seriously, I think. Oh, I can't make eye contact with anyone because I'm so deep. I've got deepage, and, and people don't know the problems I have. If you knew my problems, you wouldn't want to make eye contact with me either. You know that? Come on, stop it. Pulls us out of ourselves. And then she says, go public. Go public. Once again, go public. Meet or talk with two people. I had a friend tell me one time, if you have something, a new project you're going on, everybody you meet, talk about your business. It's a great way to just generate, you know, I got this amazing idea. What do you think of this? Boom, 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 boom. You know, you'll probably drive people crazy, but it's okay. But find people that you can say, you know, this is, I think this is possible now. I think I'm ready to step into this. And some people won't agree with you. I'm talking to somebody the other day that's talking about relocating and talking about the pressures from the family that worried about. I had that when I was thinking about going to Los Angeles as a young actor. And I had to hang out with these other actors. I said, I'm going to LA, man. I'm going for it. And they go, are you out of your mind? You're going to go there and get your heart broken. So I knew I don't want to share my dream with that person anymore. I didn't, I didn't have to burn them down or argue with them. Like, okay, I don't share over here. Thanks for sharing, and I get it, because that's certainly possible. 
But why, just because you're going to get your heart broken, why not do it anyway? I mean, maybe the best thing to happen is you get your heart broken. Because every time the heart gets broken, it gets bigger, cracks open, as Romy would say. But there's this mindset that "Mm, never gets your heart broken. Oh, my gosh, that would be horrible. I mean, we get our hearts broken. It just expands us and grows us. We can handle anything. But very interesting. So go in public. And then the last thing is connect. She says, prepare a meal for somebody you love. Laura and I had this experience the other night. We met with someone that wanted to have dinner with us, and it was a lovely evening. And, and it was really great because I, I learned this long ago. What I learned as an actor in L.A. is if you go to a party with a group of actors, nobody cares what you're doing because everybody wants to tell you about what they're doing. Can you imagine that with a bunch of self-serving actors? But, and my first wife said to me, I don't want to go to any more of these parties. I said, why not? I'm having a good time talking about myself, and they are too. And she said, no one has ever asked me a question. And I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? And I realized, you know, it's such a lovely thing to ask somebody about themselves. And so what she recommends is connecting, is inviting someone to dinner or having dinner with someone and asking questions and hearing their story. And just presencing it. She said it's such a powerful practice to build that, that deep level of connection and honoring and, and that high level of, of relationship. Powerful work. And it just, I don't think it gets talked about enough. And you know, those were the things, and that's, that's a lot of points, and I get it. But I wanted to touch lightly on each one. It's, it's a wonderful compendium of, of information and, and techniques to break ourselves out of the patterns and to give birth to new possibilities. And so I, I, I said earlier at the other service, perhaps we look at creating a class around this in the, in the fall, around these ideas that we'd spend eight to 10 weeks and creating the, the, the maps and talking about our challenges and dissolving error beliefs and bringing the spiritual practices into it for the greater yet to be. I think that's a wonderful, rich possibility. You know, as um, this, this slide goes back up with Julie, so I'm looking for a picture online, and I go on the Facebook page, and there's Julie, and there's this character standing next to her with this, this big yellow foam hat. And I think, I don't know who that woman is. I'm going to have to figure this out. I don't want to show a picture that I, you know, might not be appropriate. I always like to ask permission. And then I realize that the woman with the big yellow hat is me. And what inspired it was I did a talk years ago. Do you remember the scene in Dumb and Dumber when, when Jim Carrey and uh, Jeff Daniels, and Jeff Daniels says to Jim Carrey, whatever you do, we only have $42.37 left, and they were going to go buy food. He says, get nothing but the essentials, just the essentials, because we really got to watch what we're spending. And so Jim Carrey goes off to the, the store, and he comes back with the, the porn magazines and the, the periodicals and, and beer and and pretzels, and the big yellow foam hat. So I wore that one time, and I did a talk about nothing but the essentials. And Julie loved that talk. And for some reason, she talked me into wearing this. We had a, a, a community party one time over at Borden Park. And so I, I bought that big orange hat, and she always loved it. So there I was. I'm looking, you know, that's me. So it was perfect. And she got the biggest kick out of that. She just adored that I would... would uh, uh, play like that with her. So I wanted to just share with you, uh, I put something together to finish today that I think is, uh, is perfect for Julie. 
And it comes from a, a friend, a peer of mine sent me this. And it's a very short uh, reading, but it's appropriate when someone makes their transition. It, re- it begins, when someone dies, a cloud turns into an angel and flies up to tell God to put another flower on a pillow. A bird gives the message back to the world and sings a silent prayer that makes the rain cry. People disappear, but they never really go away. The spirits up there put the sun to bed. They wake up the grass and spin the earth in dizzy circles. And sometimes you can see them dance in a cloud during the daytime when they're supposed to be sleeping. They paint the rainbows and also the sunsets and make the waves splash and tug at the tides. They toss shooting stars and listen to wishes. And when they sing wind songs, they whisper to us, don't miss me too much. The view is nice, and I'm doing just fine. And I think that applies so beautifully to Julie. So with that said, what I'd like to do is just share a prayer with you in this moment. And what I once again affirm and know is that something powerful and beautiful is moving in and through and as me and you. Let us take this message this day in, in honor of our lives for the life that is left for us to live and create and love in. And part of Julie's legacy and all those that have gone before us that we love and adore and honor. Us living the, the finest and most beautiful expression of life that we can honors them as well as ourselves and blesses the world. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is.